Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. So I know a lot of people that I know probably don't realize this about me, but I am a really huge fan of reality competition TV shows. I mean, anything where you vote people out week after week and then pick a winner at the end, like I will watch it. And of all of those you know, my favorite by far is Survivor, and I've been watching it since its first season aired 20 years ago. And this year, it just celebrated its 40th season. And in order to just kind of really steep myself in in this event, I joined the Patreon of Rob Has a Podcast, which is a podcast network that was founded by a former Survivor player named Rob Sesternino. And uh, its fans call it RHAP. And it's kind of an army of podcasters that cover reality shows across the spectrum. And I knew there's a patron I would be supporting some really entertaining content that I wanted to consume. But what I didn't really expect was that there's a really interesting and passionate community of fans behind these shows and the Rob has a podcast network. And so I have asked Rob to come on and talk to us about it and how his community came together. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Rob. Craig, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Um, so I know that you've gotten into this really extensively on some other podcasts, but sort of. But briefly, not on this one you- yet. Not on this one. That's right. But uh, some of those other podcasts are a couple of hours. And so maybe mm-hmm. maybe you could briefly, you know, talk about your path coming off your second season of Survivor to sort of getting to become a podcaster and starting uh, our hub. Sure. My background is that I was uh, somebody who was like a crazy nut about all of these shows. And I started watching Survivor in the very first season back in 2000. And I was hooked and I really wanted to be a person to go and be on one of these shows that I was uh, working in insurance. And it was very boring. And I thought that (laughs) like, boy, this would be a great way to really shake things up in my life to go and be a contestant on one of these shows. And then if I can just do that, surely, you know, that will make my life more exciting. And I'll find other. Yeah, that'll open some doors for me. And so I did ultimately get on the show Survivor. And I went to go do that in the year 2002 and ended up uh, getting very close, but no cigar. Uh, to win Survivor. And then I got invited back to play Survivor again a year later in uh, 2003. Did not get as close, got much further away, and then was basically done with playing Survivor. And then I was sort of at a crossroads of, uh, boy, well, that did not open up as many doors as I thought it was going to. (laughs) And now I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And I had been approached actually by somebody who was a producer who was working in Los Angeles and he was um, developing some sort of a, of a company to try to like figure out something to do with reality people who sort of like had some notoriety but not really any direction or purpose and maybe there was something that you could do uh, with people that came off of reality shows. So I ended up moving out to Los Angeles and working at this company and uh, you know, uh, TLDR uh, there's not anything to do with uh, reality people in terms of uh, having a company. <laughs> that company went out of business, but I made a lot of good relationships and uh, started working with uh, the people from that company. And we ended up getting into creating online content of when YouTube really started up. And we worked on you know uh, a 
ton of different web series and started to get some traction uh, with that. And I really like had a sort of, uh, you know, second college experience of sort of like going to film school of, you know, I would learn how to shoot video and edit and market and do all sorts of different uh, skill sets in terms of like what you would do with online content. And really, you started to, you know, uh, have a a little bit of like another skill set that I ended up picking up. And ultimately, that company went out of business in, uh, you know, 2008, when so many different things ended up uh, losing funding. And around the time of the start of the last decade, around uh, 2009, 2010, I was without any sort of job prospects or anything going on. And I ended up saying, hey, uh, why don't I look back at, you know, a a former passion of mine, which was Survivor. And at the time, there was a really big anniversary season coming up for the 10th anniversary of Survivor. And I thought that might be a good idea to sort of like show people that I was doing something. And so I started this podcast up to talk about TV shows that I was watching as more than anything as sort of like a resume piece of if I went for a job somewhere that then they they could say, well, what have you done? I said, well, look at this podcast. I I do my own podcast. And I thought that that would be impressive to people. Uh, And ultimately, it was not an impressive uh, resume piece for anybody. But it started something that has developed into, you know, my full time occupation over the course of these last 10 years. It was, I mean, at that time, podcasting was really kind of a new form, wasn't it? Like, like what was the world of podcasting like at that point? There were few podcasts. I mean, I think that podcasting, I think, really go dates back to 2004 was like the very the, the first podcast. But, you know, TV podcasting got a really big uh, boon, no pun intended, uh, with mm-hmm. the rise of Lost, where mm. that became like the first show to have a ton of episodic podcast discussion about it and that as lost grew in popularity and there was more discussion that really was a true like water cooler show that really earned a ton of different podcast conversation of people like wanting to break down each episode and talk about different things that were happening. And so I got into a lot of podcasting there. Also, another passion of mine, sports. Uh, There is a lot of podcasting that came out of that. And then also uh, Bill Simmons, uh, you know, had his podcast. Adam Carolla started to get into podcasting uh, around that time. So I was listening to a lot of podcasts between like 2007 and 2009 at the time when I first started to play around with doing my own podcast. I mean, it makes sense that Lost would be a driver for that, like this kind of show that, you know, people were really getting into analyzing and digging into and stuff like that. I mean, in a way, it, that kind of carries into Survivor where, you know, you start digging into the strategy and pe- you can really like just like nerd out into nerd out on it in depth. You know? Yeah. In its inception, I mean, Survivor was water cooler conversation. That, that yeah, that's, yeah. They, they and then and for younger listeners, like the idea of water cooler television was that oh, this is the show that everybody is talking about at work the next day after it airs around the water cooler. Now uh, that in in 2020, people don't actually go to work or have or share an office, so that this is <laughs> a you know something that's probably lost. But I do think that podcasts have uh, sort of uh, come into that space and 
podcasts are sort of where you go when you want to hear your friends talk about something that just happened that you saw on television, whether it's sports or something that's from a television show. Were you the only one uh, doing a podcast about Survivor at that time? Like now, it seems like everybody and their brother and all of the former survivors are running podcasts. But I no, mean, was, I, I wasn't yeah. the first that I, I feel like that. I believe that uh, the Joanne and Stacy podcast is uh, mm-hmm. probably attributed as being the first survivor podcast. But there were at least like three or four other mm-hmm. podcasts at the time when I started up mine. So that I, I, I have been on for a long time and not everything that had been started then is still going. But uh, that I was not the first. Oh, okay. Um, when did you kind of start figuring out that people were listening, like realizing that you had started building an audience? So in the very first, uh, you know, in, initial days of the podcast, I think that a lot of the interaction that we would have would be with people that would happen on Facebook and on Twitter in terms of that people like writing back to us. And in the early days of social media, that for people who are more newcomers to especially platforms like Twitter, that in the, the in its inception in the earlier days that it was a much more friendly place where that you know that the people who were on these platforms were looking to engage and you know have conversation and there was very little arguing and uh, not so much negativity on these platforms so it was a great place to be able to you know launch conversations and tell people hey if you heard the show and you liked if you have a question send it to us on on this platform and we had a facebook page which that it, when facebook pages were first starting they were a little bit more that they were like groups where if you have a facebook page now that the if, if you're not the uh page creator like it's uh that you can't really start discussion topics where you could on a facebook page it was a little bit more like a message board uh, mm-hmm. in the early days of Facebook pages. And there was a lot of the Rob's a podcast, like an initial community built, like in those first couple of years of the Facebook page, like 2010, 2011, 2012. When did you start thinking about like, you know, at, at some point you started, you know, there's a difference between like, you've got a bunch of people who are interacting with you, who are your fans and you trying to grow that into something that's sort of a community that, you know, you're on Patreon now. So obviously you're, mm-hmm. mo- you're, you're monetizing it, but you know, that's, that's a community that you kind of own or grow or manage yourself. Like how did, what, what did that sort of evolution look like? So the evolution of it, and I think the evolution is probably a better word than in terms mm-hmm. of like long-term strategy. Like, I don't think that necessarily like uh, that's how evolution ends up taking place in uh, nature where it's not like, okay, well, 10,000 years from now, here's where this species is going to get to. It ends up just sort of like uh, developing over time because out of necessity where I had this podcast and I loved doing it and it ended up like taking up more and more of my time and people enjoyed that. So there was like this great sort of like a feedback loop where people were being, you know, uh, they liked the content I was putting out. They said, give us more. I was like, okay, I I like making this, so I will make more. And it was like this uh, nice feedback loop that we had developing. But in the real world, I was, uh, you know, still like uh, working at a 
company that uh, one of the producers that I had started working with had had started, and that company was having some problems. And eventually, I got let go from my day job in December of 2013, and I was really upset about the whole the whole thing because while I love doing the podcast, that that there was not the kind of monetization coming in that was going to be able to uh, support my family where I was married at the time that we just had our first son uh, that year. And I kind of like, just felt like, boy, like uh, this, I, I feel not great. Feel kind of like a loser right now because <laughs> I, um, you know, in my thirties and I don't have a job and this is uh, not great. And so I was at a bit of a crossroads of, should I give up what I've built so far and then pursue some sort of like a meaningful like a uh, like day job where that you know I would you know basically go work for somebody else or could I potentially turn you know get to a next level of this podcast to potentially do that and so I decided to give that a a try and that was at the time that I started to uh, look into and seriously consider doing the Patreon. Uh, and that really changed everything in terms of the, the podcast. And what I did not realize at the time was really the start of the community of patrons that we would build at that time, because I thought we had a community then. But what I didn't realize until we got started with having a private Facebook group was, oh, this is where the community lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and, and Patreon was itself a pretty new platform at that point yes. too, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I think I was a pretty early adopter. I mean, I don't know necessarily how many people they had at the time when I got started, but I bet back in, you know, 2013, I had gotten a phone call from somebody who worked at Patreon which uh, if anybody is not familiar with uh, what Patreon does, it's a way to sort of like, um, it's basically like a Kickstarter that can be on monthly increments or by creation where a, a group of fans can crowdfund uh, a creator or a, you know, a, a series. And so I got a call from somebody who worked at uh, Patreon in 2013 who was a fan of Big Brother and his name was Cole and he said that hey I really enjoy the Big Brother podcast you're some you're the type of person that should be on Patreon I'm like yeah people are going to pay for podcasting like what <laughs> why would they do that that doesn't make sense and so I ended up like I didn't throw out the phone number or, or you know or the contact info and I sort of kept it at the back of my head but what I realized was that when it was a question of yeah i don't know if i can do this anymore uh like or like i or i want to you know make the decision to do this all the time you know can you help support this people were very invested in seeing me continue on to produce the content that they were enjoying you've said that you know the private so one of the benefits that you've given um as for people who become patrons of Robin's podcast is the private Facebook group, which is basically where the community around um, your patrons has built. Um, like, like when, well, first of all, when you first started the Patreon, was that where you started collecting it or did you, did you try other things at first or was it all just sort of, th that's the way it's been from the beginning? So that's really the way it was from the beginning. And I wish okay. I could say it was from design uh, or from like or day one. Uh, I think it was probably uh, from a day 10 or something like <laughs> that, that I, that we started Patreon. And then 
I think then we said, oh, we should then add people to the Facebook group who are our patrons. We'll make up a patron group and then go from there. And that was in the very early days of uh, 2014. And it's hard to do. Uh, there is no integration between uh, Patreon's API and Facebook. So it was a no, lot of- Even still today, there isn't. Still today, yeah. 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 Manually adding people that you have issues where people are no longer patrons, but still in Facebook groups. And so it is uh, it, not the easiest thing, but it was great for people to find each other and- I really wish I could take more credit for this, but I can't that we just had such a the first uh, 100, 200 people that joined. They were so excited to get to meet each other of, hey, you like this thing that I that I, I didn't know anybody else that liked this thing like I do. And uh, not just Rob as a podcast, but also Survivor and all of the different reality shows that we uh, talk about. And then from there also, oh, you like this other. I don't know anybody else that, that also likes this. And people made friendships that still to this day uh, were are, you know, amazing friendships where people then turned into like, hey, I have to come see you. I have to, you know, we have to interact or I didn't know you were in my city or I'll, I'll fly across the country or around the world to, so we can get to uh, meet in person. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, you know, I've been part of other fandoms that develop that way, but it really does like like I'm a, I'm in the pinball community, right? The competitive mm -hmm. pinball. And it was the same thing like when we when when the internet first started and we were like on Usenet at the time and we discovered all of the pinball fans and then we started going to tournaments all together and it's and it's crazy how 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 like online allows all of that disparate stuff to happen um and and you got to kind of just watch watch that as well around this stuff that you were producing yeah it was uh, i mean really wild to see just how much you know the i mean there would be you know thousand comment threads of people just uh you know talking and running jokes and all sorts of stuff you know uh that that the first you know a couple of years were just uh really incredible to watch this community just blossom so you've said that like you didn't really have a vision or a grand plan when you first started as far as that community or managing it or stuff like that. But over the years, like like what has what has grown into your vision or your plans or your goals as far as that community watching it grow, watching what you want it to be, all of that sort of thing? Well, there's been a lot of challenges uh, that with you know the community. Like I, I look back to those early days of starting the the Facebook group, and I and I look back at them like uh, so fondly. It was you know definitely like a, a less polarized time where mm -hmm. that the just the, the actual not not even to speak to like the political climate, but the actual the the platforms were just much more fun in terms of where you know people did not did not go to facebook to argue or uh, mm -hmm. to social media to argue that you went you went there to share interests not necessarily to you know uh to to fight or defend or anything else that's like a conflict on these uh, social networks. So that, that's been probably the biggest challenge in terms of building a community over these years is just just the 
tenor of conversation on the internet has uh, really devolved over the time that I've been uh, doing the podcast. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think that you see that spill out, not just from you, but to the people who have been on the shows, like the people who have played on Survivor, Big Brother, The Challenge, et cetera. I mean, you were, you were lucky because none of this stuff really existed when you played, but, um, you know, I've seen, I've seen that spill out in that direction as well. Yeah. It's, you know, everything has become, you know, uh, political in every uh, facet of the society. But, you know, in a, a lot of ways that the, you know, exercise of, you know, talking politics is extremely tribal. And while uh, that, you know, uh, really that the, the, the irony is that with, you know, Seth Godin, uh, that his book Tribes was, you know, very, uh, you know, inspirational for me at, in the early days of doing Rob has a podcast and, and building the community that in terms of, you know, uh, how tribes look at each other, you know, it's us, it's us versus them. And then, you know, you're trying to, you know, uh, build up a strong tribe of your own in your community. But when, you know, everything on the internet is just so tribal to begin with, it's very hard to unite your own tribe when people are already, you know, so divided and at, at odds. Yeah, it's interesting because you because you know we were just talking about how we've seen these tribes come together around common interests, but it seems like almost like the way that people are organizing themselves online has kind of shifted over the years and that's contributed to some of this, you know, the tenor of online discussion we've seen on these platforms kind of combined with the fact that the platforms aren't really building themselves as a place to have, you know, nuanced conversations to begin with either. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, uh, very, it's very difficult. And I think that what I have tried to do in terms of, uh, my communities is, you know, just to be focused more on the things that bring us together rather than the things that could potentially, uh, tear us apart. Yeah, I mean, um, I've noticed that you know, on I, it's on the Facebook groups, your moderation team has has been pretty hands off, right? I've seen very very little active moderation on the Facebook group, and and it's it's worked out for you, you know. And I've seen lots of places where it hasn't worked out very well, um, where hands off moderation has led to chaos. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think contributes to the fact that that has worked out well for you and your and your community? <laughs> So I, I think there's a few things. I think that one is that we have uh, had longevity where that, you know, we're six plus years of having our Facebook group. And I think that there are just a lot of people that really care about it. So I feel like that there's a lot of uh, self-moderation that happens where people are pretty good at, you know, uh, knowing when something is just out of touch with the way that we try to, you know, conduct ourselves in the uh, different Facebook groups that we've established. And so I think that that's a you know big part of it. Also, that I do think that we have a strong moderation team, but I do think that so while we are hands off, uh, that I like to think that it's not necessarily that we are, you know, our eye is off the ball where mm-hmm. we, if somebody flags a potential comment, 
uh, that we have a moderator chat where we're often, okay, hold on. This is a developing situation. Let's keep an eye on this. All right. Let's see if this escalates. All right. Let them just blow off their steam and okay. Okay. Fine. It seems like this is deescalating. So we try not to step in unless things have like really gotten out of control and then we can go ahead and sort of lock the thread or, you know, give a reason why we're locking a thread because that, Hey, this is the reason why this is, you know, this is a personal attack or for whatever reason, because, you know, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily even have to be about, you know, uh, when we're talking about like, uh, politics or hot button issues, there could, you know, somebody could come in with like, Hey, I hate this survivor. And right. You know, I always try to push to the group like, hey, tell us what you love. Don't tell us what you hate because that nobody when you're like, I love I love this person. Like nobody's going to argue with you about you know, necessarily uh, how much you love something. But when you come in, oh, I hate this guest on the podcast. Uh, that that's where like from a negative place, I feel like that uh, most conflict starts. No, I mean, I've I've definitely noticed that, you know, that most of the things that I've seen tend to be around what somebody did on the show yesterday or mm-hmm. people's feelings about a particular player and that sort of thing. And the politics stuff is actually much lower key I've seen on the groups. Yeah. For, um, we, you know, have tried to point people to, uh, you know, have a, uh, a thread about politics for people that want that want uh, to discuss issues where they can go to, but it's sort of like an opt in type of mm-hmm. uh at- atmosphere with uh that where you can it started by one particular account which i invite people to mute if they do not want to hear that and sort of try to direct all of like a political conversation to uh that particular thread and sort of like enter at your own risk um so <laughs> that's uh, th- that that's one way that we've tried to deal with it but i do feel like that there's so many other places on facebook where people are, uh, you know, have the ability to be able to discuss their political worldviews in everybody's own, you know, uh, sort of like particular echo chamber. Then that, you know, there's so many other places. Why, why are you coming here to discuss that? Where the, I always like to make, you know, somebody give a whole long post about something, and then, sir, this is a Wendy's. yeah and i mean i think that's especially true in a situation where we're talking about people who are paying to enter this group right i mean i mean because like you know nobody gets into the group without subscribing to the patreon so in some ways it's a little self-selecting i would think yeah it's self-selecting and i think that part of what we offer here is that it is curated conversation with people who are here to talk about this specific thing and we're not going to you know tolerate somebody who is going to be out of control or looking to pick fights that it's a a nice place to hang out and talk about this if this is something that you particularly care about you know we are your friends from the internet that you get to talk about your favorite shows with um, you, and, and, um, another thing that you've done that's a part of this, and I feel like, and I feel like it, it contributes to the feeling of like, of community within that group is you do a lot of interaction with the fans, be it at the live events or with your call-in events like Facebook Friday and the patron cask. And recently mm-hmm. you've been doing things like these game nights with patrons. Like, do you, do you feel like that's also something that contributes to this sort of feeling of like, we're all in this together community yeah. in the group? 
I'm glad you brought up the live events because that's something, you know, obviously with uh, 2020 being the year that it was, that that has been a big uh, loss for our community because I felt like that when we would do the live events and we would basically have a live viewing of a Survivor episode or a Big Brother episode and we would have alumni come out and it would be a big get together of, you know, th just, uh, you know, 300 of your closest friends from the internet that you would go there and like, uh, like, oh, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so like, oh, I know you from the, you know, it's now you're placing a real face with the avatar. And I think that so much of the conflict online happens between, you know, this isn't a real person. This is a, mm -hmm. an avatar that I'm fighting with. You know, if, if you, you, you wouldn't have this conversation in the same way, if you were on a zoom call with, uh, one another, if you were even just like looking at the other person. So the fact that we have so many people who have met face to face has been, I think, also, a, you know, a real secret sauce in our, you know, a strong community where so many people know each other from all the various events that we've done over the years. But because of COVID, we've had to, uh, you know, uh, cancel a number of events that we had two events that we had scheduled for one in, uh, I think it was the first week of April and one, which I think was going to be the last week of April, uh, which we had to cancel both of those events, uh, as, uh, things started to, uh, you know, really escalate with COVID. I'm not sure when we're going to be able to get back together and, uh, do one in person. So one of the things that I've been trying to do is, do more virtual type events with uh, the uh, with with the patrons for a, a number of different reasons. You know, one, I love to you know offer have more offerings to you know uh, give people to thank them for supporting the content. But I also think that it's great when people get to not only have you know uh, you know interaction with with me if that's something that they want, but more especially, I love it when people are able to meet other people in uh, the group. And I think that uh, a real secret to uh, this, the cohesiveness of the group is the more that we can turn a picture, a little avatar in the group into a real person that you know what they sound like, you know a little bit about them. That's a real person. And that's more of a connection to what we're doing. And that's a tighter community. The more you can sort of flesh out those uh, little like, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter avatars into real people that you can, you know, uh, know their voice. And then when they post a picture or they post a comment, you're responding back and talking with a real person. No, and it, and it totally, it's totally happened too. Like, like I played in, um, so they, they built this, this online game sequester, which I know you're yes. familiar with and, yes. and, um, a bunch of, a bunch of random patrons all submitted to play together and we all played together and it was fun, but, we, but those 20 people now we have a group chat that's become <laughs> very, very tight. You know, yeah. we're all, we're all super close together. And I think that's true. You're, you know what you're saying that like all of these random people who I never knew before it you know we were able to be brought together and having met face to face figure out you know because it's a very diverse group in in mm -hmm. age and in all sorts of other ways and and we've all we've we've all found that common ground yeah 
So I think that that's a, a really fun thing when, you know, that's started as, okay, I just like this podcast, but all of a sudden now you're part of a, you know, network of people around the world who also, you know, share this interest with you. So you talked about how uh, Seth Godin's book was a inspiration for you when you first started. Like as time has gone on, have then there been other communities that you've taken inspiration from or that you've looked up to um, and tried to bring, you know, their principles into your own community? You know, I wish I could say that there were um, some that really stood out to me, but the problem has been where that uh, Rob's podcast has uh, consumed so much of my time <laughs> that I have not really, you know, it's been at the expense of many of my other interests. And so I have not really been able to, you know, be an active part of too many other uh, communities. This this time in my life when this happened, this also happened to be when uh, we, my wife and I, have uh, started to raise two little boys uh, who are now five and seven, and so a, a lot of the you know other time that I would have to spend pursuing my interests have now uh, gone into uh, being uh, doing a lot of dad stuff. Yeah. And if recording, I'm not, yeah, if I'm not doing recording 12 uh, podcasts a week. Yeah. Right. It's either, you know, I'm either dad or, you know, at RHAP. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things about reality TV is that I think in a lot of, in a lot of years prior to this, it was very much simple escapist entertainment, but, you know, as in the rest of the world, you know, in the last several years, a lot of, a lot of the issues that are affecting the rest of the world have been brought into this world too. You know, there's been a lot of discussion, uh, about how, about representation of people sure. of color or from different backgrounds on the shows, not just on screen, but behind the screens and in the editing process, people who have played before sharing their experiences that were maybe not so great. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, these are serious issues that have been surfaced as, a part of this and like how has how has those things um sort of affected your approach to your community and your and your fans and how you and how you you know even build your podcasts and stuff like that in the last few years yeah well especially uh this year in 2020 uh this was uh such a big issue after everything that we saw this summer when the you know wake of uh the George Floyd protests and we, you know, uh, only in the last couple of years, you know, and this is a big mea culpa on my part, was this, uh, you know, an issue that I was, you know, uh, especially aware of. Like, I, I didn't know as a content creator that this was something that I, you know, should be, you know, talking about or discussing. And I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to be able to, you know, use this platform to be able to, uh, you know, uh, give voice to more people to be able to uh, speak their truth about things that they've experienced, uh, whether we're talking about contestants that are on the show or that we've uh, really increased the, you know, uh, roster of podcasters that we have to try to, you know, create a much more uh, diverse group of people who are able to talk about the shows from 
various different perspectives. And while people may not agree with every single person that's on the podcast, I think that that makes us uh, a better group to be able to, you know, have the different viewpoints be brought to the table as opposed to, you know, a fewer number of viewpoints that we get to hear about uh, over the course of like a long season of uh, Big Brother, for instance, where that I love hearing from all sorts of uh, different people about what they're seeing. And actually, that uh, while you may not have noticed this, uh, I am able to that, you know, I noticed that this is going on because of my uh, unique background. And I think that, that just as a listener, I think that's the kind of stuff that I always want to know. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask about that because, you know, you brought it, you did make a big call for for uh, submissions for people to join the podcast network as podcasters this year. I, I believe you brought in more than you ever have in the past. Like usually you have you have I kind didn't of a think stable. we were going to find so many good people because <laughs> usually you have this stable of like 10 or 12 people, which you basically seems like you've kind of doubled almost mm-hmm. this year. Um, but I mean. Uh, and, and, you know, as I was saying, you, you made a very specific uh, plea to bring in much more diverse voices, which you've certainly succeeded in. Um, you know, what if what if the what how has that worked? What kind of what kind of challenges or opportunities have come along with it? What's the reaction from people been? Uh, how has yeah. that all gone? So the podcast network is, you know, is an ensemble where they started off. It was just me. And then we ended up spinning off more shows and more coverage and getting into things like uh, scripted TV and all sorts of other different uh, reality TV shows that are out there. And then, you know, that it's in terms of like there's an endless appetite of shows that we could potentially be covering. And so as that has happened, we have really grown our roster to the point where, you know, it's a little bit kind of like a Saturday Night Live where we have like our like the main cast and then also like a bunch of people that are sort of like on the bench that we can go to in a pinch uh, who are sort of like the featured players along the way. And, you know, as people's, uh, you know, interests like that, we learn like who wants to cover what we have the opportunity to be able to, you know, build new podcasts around people who are sort of like uh, breaking out and having a real connection with the audience, the people that are like uh, really doing well on the shows. The issue is just like kind of like a sports team is that a lot of times there's just not enough playing time for (laughs) everybody involved where that there's like so many different people that we could probably just uh, come up with a show right now for them to start doing uh, coverage on. We're just limited by the amount of resources that are you know, you know available to us in terms of like post-production and getting things out. And then also, you know, how well will those new things perform? And is it necessarily, you know, worth the effort to just because, uh, you know, somebody would be good, would that podcast necessarily find an audience? Not to mention the fact that so many of the shows you cover just aren't doing anything at this point now. <laughs> That's true also. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's lots of unique challenges, but you know, we're in a good place in terms of just the, the, the roster of people that we found who are you know, excited to podcast about these things with me. So, I mean, you know, you've been, you've been doing this for 10 years now of Rob has a podcast and, you know, this Patreon has been running for what, six now, I believe. And so, you know, and you've grown, you know, you have 
thousands of patrons now. It's been very successful. What sort of what what sort of are your new goals for the future looking forward? What do you what do you see the future of the RHEP community looking like? Yeah, I really uh Greg again going back to that evolution question, I wish I, I wish I had like a good <laughs> a good answer about that. I mean, what in just uh for particularly for me is that I would love to uh be able to, you know, combine what we're doing with uh competition shows to be able to continue to provide content around shows that are not necessarily as cyclical where you know if uh you know because what used to keep me up at night was boy if survivor ever goes off the air like i'm gonna have to find a new job and i think that during this time period i feel like well you know i haven't really had to you know uh survivor hasn't been on the air and he in you know we're closing in on six months and it'll be well over a year uh and i think i'm gonna get to still do the podcast so that's been reassuring so i would love to continue to develop original, you know, uh, new and interesting content, you know, that is hosted by me and then also continue to develop new content that the audience is excited about around people that are not me. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show today and sharing your insights with us. Well, Greg, uh, I really love what you're doing. I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I'm uh, very excited to see where you go next with this project. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at TMBTP underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.